I'm Bryson Bort, and this is Hack the Plant, Season 3. Electricity, finance, transportation, our water supply. We take these critical infrastructure systems for granted, but they're all becoming increasingly dependent on computers to function. We walk through the world of hackers working on the front lines of cybersecurity and public safety to protect the systems you rely upon every day. From the ransomware threats of Colonial Pipeline to the failure of the Texas power grid, it is clear our interconnectivity is also a significant source of risk. This season, we take a look at issues arising with increased investment in renewable energy, which is relevant to the war in Ukraine, and continue to highlight unique insights across the spectrum of critical infrastructure. My day job, I'm the CEO and founder of Scythe, and the co-founder with Tom Van Norman of the nonprofit ICS Village, where we educate people on critical infrastructure security with hands-on examples, not just nerd stuff. I founded Graham in 2013, a consultancy that works the front lines of these problems every day for clients all over the world. This is Hack the Plan, brought to you by the ICS Village. Catch us at an event near you. Subscribe wherever you find podcasts to get each episode as soon as it drops. I'm Bryson Bort, and this is Hack the Plant. For today's episode, I'm joined by Andy Lubershane, the Director of Research for Energy Impact Partners, a venture investment fund founded by a coalition of electricity and gas utilities. EIP was formed seven years ago by this group coming together to invest in next generation technology. Utilities have just historically been behind when it comes to being able to quickly pilot, test, deploy, and adopt at scale new technology. And in particular, that's caused them to struggle to really benefit from the rapid changes in digital infrastructure that just about every sector of the economy has really been able to take advantage of much more quickly. We discuss EIP's investments in the future of energy infrastructure, including next generation technologies for electric, such as wind, solar, and other renewables, and the top threats and challenges the industry faces. If you think about the really existential threats to the utility sector, One is that they don't keep up with the requirements of policymakers, regulators, consumers, investors when it comes to cleaning up their system. And the other is that there's a major physical or cyber risk to their system that shuts down reliability of supply, that compromises reliability of supply. Because again, for 100 years, their mantra is safe, affordable, reliable. We can't compromise those things even as we add flexible and clean to that list of mandates. And, you know, frankly, as the grid becomes more complex, as it becomes more far-flung, like these wind and solar farms we're talking about, they're not within the traditional fence of any kind of, you know, utility power plant, right? These are out in the middle of nowhere in many cases, with hundreds of miles of transmission line moving energy around the country. You know, they become more exposed in some ways to threats, both physical and, and digital. How are energy companies themselves accelerating investments in clean energy and security? What other challenges do these advancements in technologies and increased connectivity create? Join us to learn more. 
Great. So, you know, Energy Impact Partners was formed, I think, about seven years ago at this point. And, you know, we've been really active in the market for about six of those years. Um, and, and we are a strategic venture capital and growth equity investment firm. And, you know, the strategic part of our mandate comes from the fact that we were really formed by and and are primarily backed by a consortium of energy infrastructure corporates. And really our heart and soul and, and how we got started was a group of electric and gas utilities and utility holding companies that came together with some of the founders, the principals in EIP, and decided that they wanted to collaboratively invest in the next generation of technology across a bunch of different categories um, that's relevant to the future of the energy infrastructure business writ, writ large. And you know, it's kind of interesting because the utility sector in particular is sort of uniquely able to collaborate in this way, in a way that I think very few other industries are, because the utilities, at least as far as their core business is concerned, their core infrastructure business of owning pipes and wires that deliver energy you know, around the country and to all of us, is, not, is oftentimes not competitive. They're not competitive with each other. They have these regulated monopoly territories granted to them by the states, in which they have a, a right and an obligation to serve um, all customers at a fair price. And so the utilities were able to sit down around a table together and say, we know that we're facing major challenges as an industry over the coming two, three decades. And we can talk in a little bit about what those challenges are, but we know that we need to advance technology solutions faster. We know that historically, our sector does not, frankly, have the best reputation for uh, for in venture speak, you know, moving fast and breaking things. And that's actually a really good thing, right? Because we don't want critical infrastructure to, to break things. Um, their reputation and their mantra, frankly, is, is safe, affordable, and reliable. And that's the way it's been for a century. And it's worked out really well for us. Um, but they need to add on to that mantra a couple things. And really, the, the next two or three decades to come, they need to become much faster, more flexible, and also, of course, much more clean. And they didn't think that they could do that on their own individually. So they decided to come together. And Energy Impact Partners is really just one of the tools they have for accelerating their own uh, ability to assess and understand and adopt new technology. So you, you put the bookmark in there for the challenges. Uh, first question is... How have the view of those challenges changed in the past seven years? And what are the challenges? It's a great question. I think, you know, if you think at really big picture, what the two biggest challenges for, uh, for the energy sector are, uh, the first one we've known since the beginning of EIP, since early on in that seven-year period, which is, um, you know, utilities have just historically been behind when it comes to being able to uh, quickly pilot, test, deploy, and adopt at scale new technology. And in particular, that's caused them to, to struggle to really benefit from the rapid changes in digital infrastructure that just about every sector of the economy has really been able to, to take advantage of much more quickly. And so this concept of digital transformation, of which cyber is, is obviously a, a big component, uh, was one of the first you know, high-level investment theses we had at EIP. The second one, which has also been you know, very clear for decades now, but has really accelerated um, 
to a level I would not have predicted when I started a DIP uh, over the past you know five plus years is um, the urgency with which the utilities are focused on cleaning up their their system. The, basically, the urgency with which they're they're tackling climate change and carbon emissions. And I think in part that's because a decade ago, maybe fifteen years ago, the utilities saw frankly the the energy transition, the clean energy transition as more of a risk to their business than actually it probably was at the time. And it's really only been over the past five plus years that I think more and more utility executives and and just people in the industry in general have woken up to the fact that A, this needs to happen. Um, and B, they can be probably the keystone species in the ecosystem that is the sort of clean energy ecosystem that actually this is a much, much bigger opportunity for the utility sector and for energy infrastructure in general than it ever was a threat to them. Um, and so, you know, that's probably been the biggest change um, since we started at EIP is, um, you know, we knew that we were going to be sort of a combined uh, digital infrastructure, digital transformation and clean tech investment firm. Um, but we didn't realize how quickly clean tech would rise to be such a uh, preeminent pillar and one that our partners in the utility sector were banging on the table for us to move faster on. We've uh, done some episodes on renewables and wind energy. Um, can you give us some more details on the technology that you have invested in and what you're looking to next around uh, climate change? For sure. Um, so, you know, we actually have not invested heavily in renewables themselves in, in wind and solar technology. We have a few investments that are related to wind and solar. For example, we invested in a company called Power Factors, which is in, you know, essentially a, a big data and an asset performance management software platform for renewables. It, it's really good at ingesting data coming off of the SCADA systems from wind farms and solar farms and from other sources related to those facilities, uh, analyzing that data and doing stuff with the analysis, um, whether it's intervening operationally to, to sort of like glean a little bit more yield, performance yield from a wind farm or solar farm or portfolio thereof, uh, or whether it's to make you know adjustments in terms of how you schedule uh, routine operations and maintenance to reduce the cost of truck rolls and that sort of thing. Um, that's probably the closest that we've come to investing in something directly in wind and solar. But you know, wind and solar, one of the reasons that they are set to play such a big role in the energy system over the coming decades um, is because they are relatively mature technology at this point. They've come down the learning curve and the cost curve remarkably quickly. Really, for wind over a period of about two decades and for solar even faster, really just in the past roughly 10 years, maybe a little bit more than 10 years at this point. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're primarily venture capitalists at EIP. And, and so um, it's harder for us to find, you know, new technology plays um, in wind and solar, because at this point, it's really um, driven by, you know, large uh, original equipment manufacturers, OEMs who are making incremental progress on the technology to keep driving down the cost and and improving performance. So we've really been investing in, you know, basically assuming that wind and solar are the the foundational components of the energy transition, at least for the next decade, let's say. 
um, we've been investing in what's beyond wind and solar because wind and solar alone are not going to be sufficient, we don't believe, to decarbonize the electricity grid. And another thing that I think a lot of people outside of the energy sector don't, don't think about um, but stares you in the face when you spend any time thinking about the future of energy is you know, currently uh, in most industrial economies, we only consume about 20% of, the, of our total end-use energy. 20% of the energy we consume comes to us in the form of electricity. The rest we consume by basically combusting fossil fuel for the, for the most part, directly on site, whether that's in a vehicle or in a building to provide heat or in an industrial facility to provide really high temperature heat. And so you can build all the wind and solar you want today. You could get 100% of your electricity from wind and solar, and you've still only solved 20% of your carbon problem. And so a lot of the investments we've made at Energy Impact Partners are actually in electrification and basically electrifying all that stuff that today is fueled directly by fossil fuel, but in the future could be fueled by electricity. And that electricity could come from clean sources like wind, solar, nuclear, you know, potentially continuing to use fossil fuel combustion, but capturing the carbon and sequestering it underground. Um, so electrification is a really big theme for us. We've invested in uh, technologies related to vehicle electrification, like EV charging systems, We've invested in technologies for electrifying, basically pick your, your big industrial energy intensive application like steel manufacturing, cement manufacturing, um, fertilizer manufacturing, like all these big industrial commodities. Um, and, and it's amazing how clever people are getting at finding ways of using electricity to fuel those processes instead of, instead of burning coal or burning natural gas. What role do the limited partners, the utilities that invested and created this fund, what role do they play in the day-to-day in um, bringing new ideas to the table uh, or evaluating them? And then how does the technology get adopted? Um, so, you know, one of the nice things about EIP is we, we are an independent investment firm from any one of our LPs. So we make our own investment decisions. Uh, and we are you know, don't get me wrong, a financially motivated firm looking for the best possible returns we can get. Um, And I think one of the benefits of doing it that way is it imposes a certain discipline on the the companies and the technologies we focus on. Um, We get a lot of great ideas from our utility LPs and from our other LPs in the energy infrastructure space and beyond. And one of the roles we play at EIP is, you know, sometimes we'll have, let's say, you know, a subject matter expert from one of our partners bring us a company that they think the technology looks really promising. Um, you know, we, we have a team in-house, um, really our, our focus area, our bread and butter is, you know, looking at a technology that, that appears promising, but also looking at the company that's been built around it. The financials of the company, the business model, everything else that you know is really determinative of whether that technology has a chance to make it in the market or not. Um, and so there's a nice give and take, I think, where we get a lot of great ideas on the tech front from our partners, and that gives us a you know a way to a, a starting point for diligence. I would say 
Um, the other way the relationship can work and, and does work really well is in reverse, where you know we'll find some really interesting technology and a management team that you know we really like, um, maybe has a great track record uh, in whatever sector they're in. Um, we think the business model makes a lot of sense. They've got other really strong investors behind them and a good good financial plan. Um, but we're just not sure if it's actually solving a real problem, frankly, um, because we're not in the trenches every day <clears throat> running running the electrical grid or running the gas grid um, or any of the the software systems that are required to make those those you know critical infrastructure entities keep moving. Um, and so we're able to ask the real operators on the ground, like, is this solution that looks really good on paper to us? Is this solving a real problem for you? Um, and you know, I know this is a, a sort of a, a cyber-oriented podcast. At the end of the day, actually, one of the areas we've been most successful in making those relationships work in with our with our LPs, and and really very much um, in both directions, is in the cyber domain, where we've had just a really fantastic group of. Um, cybersecurity leaders from among our LPs who've participating in, in what we call a working group, which is sort of just an, an ongoing group of practitioners who, who join us at EIP periodically to bring us ideas, help us assess companies, you know, talk about challenges, shared challenges they have around technology, and help us all get smarter at the same time. And that group has, has been really instrumental in you know, sourcing great ideas for us, um, cybersecurity companies we we invest in, like Scythe, for example, um, and then also um, helping us assess companies when we find them. And you know, I can't I can't tell you the number of times that we at EIP have seen something that looks good with a venture capital lens that we bring to our partners, and we get enough thumbs down that we immediately know this this is, this doesn't have legs. You you kind of answered the question a little bit. Um... What is a success story in as much detail as you want to go into and can always, you know, preserve the guilty? Um, can you can you share? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you two. Um, one one in the cyber domain um, that we've had enough of a track record with at this point that I think it's, you know, knock on wood, it's safe to declare it a, a success story. Um, and one uh, on the completely opposite end of the spectrum, which is, a you know, big hard tech investment in a battery technology company. So in the cyber world, um, one of our early investments, I, I think it was one of the first 10 investments we made out of our first fund was in Dragos, um, which I, I imagine uh, many of your listeners know is, is now you know, one of the, the leading companies, if not you know, just the leading company in um, the ICS security domain, um, particularly for uh, monitoring threat intelligence, threat detection. And, you know, we, we found Dragos through one of our partners. And we also knew that the, that that segment of the market at the time, this was back in 2017, it was extremely immature defined by, you know, maybe a dozen companies predominantly in North America, but some, some around the world, um, none of whom had, you know, more than a million or two dollars in, in revenue to speak of, and frankly, who are all still building out their products. Um, but, but we had confidence from our LPs that, that the time was then, the time is now, they were ready to start investing in, you know, security for their 
for their OT, the OT side of their business in a much more sophisticated way, um, as they as they really never had before, and you know, and and you know, essentially bridging the security uh, robustness that they had been investing in for the IT side of their business with with their OT systems, um, and uh, so we knew that the market we 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 got confidence and conviction from our partners that the market was ripe, and then also that you know we didn't know for sure that Dragos would be as successful as they have been, but we had confidence that they were at least one of the companies with the best chance of making it. Um, so we felt com- comfortable investing in them. And, um, and within, you know, a year, I, I know that, you know, we had maybe a half dozen of our, our partners already who were, who were customers of, of the company. So I think we, we played a role in the company's early success. Um, and I, I'm proud to say that because I think it's a really important um, area for, for the security of, of, you know, of our society to invest in. Um, and, you know, we've had similar success with, you know, some really early stage technology as well um, in the, the kind of deep tech, clean tech side of the swimming pool. So I mentioned we invested in a, a really early stage battery technology company. A company's name is Form Energy. And they make a, a battery, um, an electrochemical battery system, but it's completely unlike the predominant battery technology that is currently being deployed in electric vehicles and on the, on the electricity grid, which is lithium-ion batteries. Um, instead, Form has developed what they call an iron-air battery chemistry, in which uh, I'm not a chemist, but... It's been described to me. The process has been described to me as controlled rusting and de-rusting as a way of thinking about it. But it's a way of storing energy, not just for a few hours at a time, you know, when the sun isn't shining or the wind isn't blowing, but actually for days, weeks, and potentially even seasons at a time um, in very large quantities. And in order to do that, they've needed to come up with a battery chemistry solution that is really two orders of magnitude cheaper on a, a unit of energy that they can store basis relative to these lithium ion battery systems that um, that are being deployed more widely today. So this technology is a little bit further out there. Um, and it's the kind of thing that that could easily face what is a very common risk factor for hard tech companies in this space, which is you know this valley of death where they have a great idea and it works well in a lab um, and they get it out of the lab and maybe do like a very, very small scale pilot project. But then they hit this, this problem where no one is willing to pay for, you know, a tens of millions of dollar commercial demonstration project for a fundamentally new solution. Um, and I'm proud to say that two of our utility partners today are on the cusp of doing just that, actually taking the plunge with this company, Form Energy, and building really sizable systems for the grid, commercial scale demonstration projects to start getting some operational experience with the technology because they know if the grid reaches really high levels of wind and solar penetration in the timeframe some people are talking about now, including some of their own planners, they're going to need something like this. and so again, you know, it's it's one where I feel like at EIP we've been, you know, we've been we've been uh, really lucky and fortunate, and I and I feel honored to have been sort of a part of being a middleman in a way uh, between 
the utility sector and our partners there and, and you know, a really promising early stage solution that I think will make a difference. One of the unique features of EIP as a firm is that, you know, there, I don't think there are many firms out there that would simultaneously invest in, you know, really deep cutting edge cyber solutions, as well as novel electrochemical battery technology for the electricity system. And, you know, we certainly find there are investors out there who don't quite understand the framework, don't quite understand the story. They're like, well, you know, if I'm an impact investor and I want to invest in just like climate change stuff, clean tech stuff, you know, why are you investing in this cyber, you know, in all this cyber mumbo jumbo? And if I'm a, if I'm like a conventional tech investor who's, you know, really only knows SaaS and really understands that cyber is this incredibly hot market, has been for, for a decade plus now, um, you know, sees the cyber budgets continuing to grow despite all the, you know, challenges in the macro economy. It's like, why are you investing in this early stage hardware with hardware margins and the valley of death when you could just be, you know, focusing on digital stuff? And I really, you know, one of the, I'm, I'm again, proud that we've been able to thread the needle and, and find ways to do both because our partners are both big critical infrastructure companies on the cusp of a, you know, a multi-generational transition in terms of how they, you know, generate and move energy, um, which requires big hardware investments and also needing to really overhaul their their digital foundations at the same time and are you know as threatened as anyone and much more consequential if there is a you know significant event on the cybersecurity front and so you know i think i'm pleased that we've been able to to you know do both and have really invested in the resources to do both well so yeah, let's let's pick on that. I mean, we we cover it throughout this, but perhaps we can pull out something different in in your view of it. Um, I mean, cybersecurity in this realm is still relatively new, um, and it really is more of a bolt-on to a entrenched architecture, which is what the utilities are. Um, so why did you consider that a particular? niche in the hypothesis for EIP? The, the shortest answer is because our LPs told us to, basically. Um, we survey our partners every year. The people that give you money telling you to do something, always a good reason. Yes. I, I, I follow this philosophy myself. Yeah. So, you know, my, my, our, our customers, yeah, they, they buy my dinner, uh, said, go look for cyber stuff. No, but seriously, we, we survey them every year. Um, and ask what are your top priorities for EIP to go and invest in, and not just invest in, but like what do you want to know about? What do you want to understand? Uh, what emerging technology landscape do you most want to understand better? And some of the stuff that comes up are things you'd expect in the kind of clean energy transition sense, like distributed energy, solar and batteries and electric vehicles, etc. We spend a lot of time on that stuff, but cyber is almost always in the top five. And that's because, you know, if you think about if you think about the really existential threats to the utility sector, one is that they don't keep up with the the requirements of policymakers, regulators, consumers, 
investors when it comes to cleaning up their system. And the other is that there's a major uh, physical or cyber risk to their system that shuts down reliability of supply, that compromises reliability of supply. Because again, for, for 100 years, their mantra is safe, affordable, reliable. And we cannot, we can't compromise those things even as we add flexible and clean to that list of mandates. Um, and, you know, frankly, as the grid becomes more complex, as it becomes more far flung, like these wind and solar farms we're talking about, they're not within the traditional fence of any kind of, you know, utility power plant, right? These are out in the middle of nowhere in many cases with hundreds of miles of transmission line moving energy around the country. Um, you know, they become more exposed in some ways to threats, both physical and, and digital. Um, and so, yeah, you know, short answer, our, our, our partners told us to longer answer. I think they're totally right. All right. So these are the same questions I ask every guest to end it out. And it's, I think, part of the signature of the show. If you could wave a magic air gapped wand, what is one thing you would change? Oh God, that's like such a broad question. Um, <laughs> Intentionally so. Okay, but actually, I know I have it. It's 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 easy for me. Uh, U.S. electric transmission policy and siting authority. There's there's nothing that would make it easier to tap into the like the cheapest possible wind and solar resources that we have in in our country, which are are incredible. Um, and you know would allow us to decarbonize much faster uh, than being able to site and permit and build long distance transmission across multiple state lines with some of the eminent domain type authority, siting authority that the federal government currently provides for pipeline infrastructure, but not for electric infrastructure. So it's really hard to build these big long distance transmission lines for electricity. And it's really important that it gets easier to do so um, for cleaning up the grid faster. Well, as broad as the question was, that was a laser answer. It, it's obviously been uh, on my mind and, and a soapbox I jump on regularly. So theoretically, one of the advantages that you have at EIP is you're constantly kind, trying to look into the future and understand what's coming next, what's the tech that's going to take, how investments are going to work. So you waved your magic wand. Now, looking into the crystal ball for a five-year prediction, one good and one bad thing that you think will happen. One good thing. I mentioned electrification earlier. I think that the transition to electric vehicles is going to happen faster than most people are <clears throat> anticipating at this point. I think... Battery technology is improving at a steady clip. There may be a few step changes on the horizon in that five-ish year time frame. Um, and once you get to a certain level of performance and cost, I think EVs just make sense. So that's one good. Um, one bad in that time frame. I don't know if this is a bad... It is a bad... But it's more just depressing because it's just a continuation of the norm, which is we're not going to have any kind of meaningful federal, meaningful, sensible, rational federal energy and climate policy. 
um, which, you know, is really just my take on federal, the federal government and policymaking as a whole. But I think particularly in that domain, I think it's going to be up to the states and entrepreneurs and business to keep leading the charge for five more years and beyond. And the growth equity behind them to do it. Indeed. Uh, on the electric cars, I mean, we have several auto manufacturers who've committed to completely electric fleets only by 2025, which is a little, it's about two to three years away. And I think uh, that kind of, those fluid dynamics are going to hit the uh, economic utility of scale for batteries that we need across. I agree. And I don't know if you drive an electric or, or your listeners do, but if, if, if anyone hasn't, give it a shot. And, and honestly, it's one of those things, once you, once you drive electric, you don't really want to go back. It's so smooth. The pickup is so fast, instant torque. It's, it's really amazing. Yeah, I don't think I'm your target audience for that comment. I have a Jaguar Roadster with a supercharged V6, and the sound is unintended electrifying. Well, for your for your common for your common man listener, then <laughs> yeah, yeah. For the way, for the way. Here's your here's your Model Three. Have fun. All right. This is Hack the Plant, a podcast from the ICS Village. Catch us at an event near you. Subscribe wherever you find podcasts to get episodes as soon as they're released. Thanks for listening.